This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This extra episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by our giveaway of the best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far. So mystery and thriller readers, this one is for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, and lots more. Go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to win uh, or to enter to try to win. Who knows if you'll win? We hope so. And don't forget to leave your lights on. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 200, and we are recording on September 24th, special bonus episode. (laughs) I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And I can't believe we made it to episode 200. 200! That's a lot of episodes. Oh, yeah. And that's also, like, hold on. I got a calculator right here. 200 times 7. 1400 book recommendations. <laughs> so okay, and that's that's using the lower number cuz we used to yeah. recommend more. <laughs> yeah, we used to recommend two books per question. Oh lordy. Which was bonkers. Was Why bonkers. did we think we could do that? That was a terrible idea. That's a lot of books, y'all. <gasps> Wait, mm-hmm. that reminds me. We had a listener write in who is a librarian. Oh yes. Who has put together a spreadsheet of every book we've ever recommended, mm-hmm. as well as like episode details. It's amazing, y'all. And has she has given us permission to link to it in the show notes. Um, as she said, she's not sure like if she'll keep it up forever, but you know, at the very least, it is a very impressive feat so far. Mm-hmm. So big shout out to her, and we will leave a link to that in the show notes. That is just an amazing labor and super impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so if you are tuning in for the first time, you're like, what am I listening to? Here's what you're listening <laughs> to. This is a reading recommendation show. You send in your questions about what you should read next, maybe what your book club should pick up, what to get for a friend or a relative, what to read on vacation, and we will do our best to find you your next good read. You can send those questions in either by email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. And if you have a time-sensitive question, you would like the response back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive and the date in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, big letters. We will do our best to get to it. If we're not going to get to it on air, we might shoot you an email response, so keep an eye out for those. Or if you've asked a question that we've answered a couple times, we might also email you. So so I should tell people what we're doing today for this extra special episode 200. We have decided to talk about books that nobody is ever going to ask us to recommend, either because they're too specific or they're too off the rails or we just can't even imagine what question they would answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, so Amanda and I both picked... Uh, six of our least recommendable books to recommend to you today. How about that? Yeah. Because we're weirdos. That's, <laughs> because that's how we roll. 
But I can guarantee, I feel very confident that among you, there will be people who are like, oh, I do want to read that book. So I guess. And I'm, well, I absolutely know that that's true. We just haven't had questions that these fit into yeah. because they're so off the wall <laughs> <laughs> or just like random. Yeah. One of like, yeah. Anyway, I think this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. We're super looking forward to it. So before we get into those, our very first sponsor is a Blinkist, which is an app that compiles the key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books. So if you feel like you can't find the time to read all the books on your list, because who among us can, this is for you. They condense everything you need to know from a particular nonfiction title down into about 15 minutes worth of reading or listening to. So you can either read or listen to it in the app. And it works on your phone or tablet or web browser. Very convenient. And they have everything from health and self-help titles to history and business books in their library. And I had a a good time playing around with this, I will tell you, especially because nonfiction, as you'll know if you've listened to the show for a while, is not something I get to on the regular. And I do like the idea of big key takeaways from nonfiction titles. So for example, one of the ones I read was No Hard Feelings, which is a great book about dealing with emotions and feelings in the workplace that is intersectional and from two women's perspectives. And we've recommended on the show before. But I was like, oh, I don't have a copy of this. And I'm not sure I have time. Am I going to like it? Like, is it going to be useful to me? And I read through the 15 minute, you know, condensed version on Blinkist. And I was like, this is very useful. And I will be getting the full book so that I can read the whole thing at that point. So it's nice for me, both in terms of getting the information in a quick way, and then knowing what I want to spend more time with in the future. So you probably will also get a lot out of it. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. It's all the books you want and all for one low price. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Get Booked listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash booked, B-O-O-K-E-D, to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist.com slash booked. Almost all of my books that I'm recommending today are nonfiction. (laughs) That's so interesting. You know, I do have two, three, actually. Yes, I have three nonfiction. Half of mine are nonfiction. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Shall we just dive in? Yes. What is your first one, Amanda? So my first one has a trigger warning for sexual assault. It is a memoir called Love and Trouble, A Midlife Reckoning. It's by Claire Detterer, who, if you are familiar with her in other from other books, she wrote a book called Poser, My Life in 23 Yoga Poses, which is such a departure from this book. Okay, so she wrote a yoga book, right? Love and Trouble is her sexual history. And it is bananas so it's it's a memoir she when she when the book opens she's like i think in her late 40s or early 50s she has two kids she has a husband of many years she lives in this like idyllic little neighborhood on an island off of the coast in the pacific northwest um and she is just like unhappy with her sex life and not to say that she doesn't sleep with her husband she does like their sex life is fine but she has found herself in her late 40s like just wanting to have the kind of wildness in her sexuality that she had when she was a young girl. So she takes out all of her journals from when she was like 14 up until um, her 30s, I think, when her first kids were born, um, and recounts her just like sexual adventures. Um, And it sounds like such an odd premise, Mm. but I love the idea of a woman in her midlife 
like realizing that she had a lot of fun you know when she was a teenager and a young adult and like is this all that there is now sleeping with the same man for the rest of my life and like do I even want that anymore and did I only want that because that's what I was supposed to want like the question that she's asking it's it seems to me that if you liked three women which I haven't read but which is like everywhere that it's a new book about, you know, women and desire and all that, then this is probably something that would appeal to you. Um, And so it starts when she is, I think, 12. She gets assaulted by a friend of her brother, and that sends her on this, I don't want to call it a spiral, but the way that she internalizes what that says about, like, her value as a girl and, like, what she can offer the world is what sends her out to serial date. Like, she is wild as a kid and as a college student. And by wild, I mean, like, ends up on a park bench as the, if you want a a good time, call Claire kind of a girl. And that translates into, like, eventually she settles down and what that process is like up into you know, her life now where she's an established writer. Um, She embarks on a kind of emotional affair with another writer in order to kind of try to scratch this itch of like, I want to be out there experiencing other people. Like, what is monogamy? Like, what is the point? You know, and how do I, how do I have these adventures when I have two children to take care of? It's just so interesting. And I think very relatable because like, who among us has not been in a long-term committed relationship and had moments where you're like, maybe I don't want this anymore, you know, or like, Maybe, maybe monogamy is dumb. Like, everybody has these thoughts, and she just has this big platform from which to explore them. Um, But, like, also, it's very much the sexual history of a 45-year-old writer. Like, doesn't necessarily sound that interesting, but I thought it was so interesting. So that's Love and Trouble by Claire Detterer. Nice. Whose brother, weirdly, her brother is in the Presidents of the United States of America. Like, millions of pages pages for me. (laughs) Yes. Weird factoid. That is a weird factoid. (laughs) Well, that's delightful. Um, okay. <laughs> My first pick is The Vagina Bible by Dr. Jen Gunter. No one is surprised that I couldn't think of a way to otherwise recommend this book because no one's going to likely write in for a recommendation like this. But um, this delights me. I was looking up some interviews with Dr. Jen online, and she has been referred to as the arch nemesis of goop, which really cracked ah! me up. And this is an intersectional and very accessible Bible for vagina havers. Like, she's very deliberately trying to separate out the myths from the actual facts on vaginal health. And she, like I said, it is intersectional, so she deals with trans folks as well. Um, It's like one or two chapters in otherwise a much longer book, but I do appreciate that that is in there. And there's so much misinformation out there. Like Dr. Google is full of terrible advice on this subject. And I am and there's things also that like, we just don't want to ask like our doctors even like there's just things that we or don't even know to ask. And there's so much of that. And I just really appreciate that there is a book from a person who seems very dedicated to debunking all of the fiction and weirdness and also destigmatizing these questions and like is very wanting to give people the information that's going to be useful to them. So I just I just really super appreciate the existence of this book. I'm so glad I own a copy. It's a book that like I haven't quite figured out how to gift to my friends, but like when I figure <laughs> it out, it will start happening. 
And yeah, like everything from like, you know, period care to what kind of underwear is good for you or bad for you, question mark, and, you know, dealing with painful sex and just all kinds of things. So I think Mm. that, I mean, I just feel like so many of us have no idea about so much of this and we're not told or asked to ask or encouraged rather to ask about these things. So I know it's like a weird kind of pick, but here's my here's my soapbox (laughs) and this is what I'm doing with it. So again, that is The Vagina Bible by Dr. Jen Gunter. I love it. It reminds me, it sounds a little bit like, what was that? Guide to Getting It On? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Or maybe even Come As You Are, which is also such a great book. Right. I was just going to say, because Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski is much more about like dealing with stress and Mm -hmm. sex and sex drive in relationships in particular. And it's another great one. But I know we've recommended Mm -hmm. that on the show Mm -hmm. before. Um, But yeah, it is. It's like it belongs on the shelf next to that. Absolutely. All right. My next one is another memoir. Apparently, memoirs are not recommendable. I don't know. That's weird. Um, (laughs) It's called Somewhere in the Middle, A Journey to the Philippines in Search of Roots, Belonging, and Identity. It's by Deborah Francisco Douglas. And I have never recommended this book because it's I'm pretty sure it's self-published. And it is like so particular to my experience. I saw it on Instagram. I bought a copy of it. I read it. I related to it. Like, I don't know how many people out there are going to write in asking for questions about like negotiating your Filipino identity as an American. Like that question has never come up. (laughs) But if you're out there looking for a book, like this is the one for you. So um, the author is half Filipina and she was raised in America, I think in California. Um, She doesn't really speak Tagalog. She's not her, her parents like are not giving her a lot of information about her heritage. Um, And so she signs up as a young adult for the Peace Corps. And her assignment, because, you know, you get assigned to the place you're going to go, turns out to be the Philippines. And so she's, like, super excited about this um, and takes it as an opportunity to learn more about her culture, maybe learn some Tagalog, um, and, you know, just kind of explore this part of her identity that she's never really, like, had any experience with or interest in, which is very much my kind of personal story like I was raised by my mother is white Um, my father my biological father his mother is Filipina and she he was not in my life so like I was raised looking very Filipino but not having any connection to that part of my identity or culture so a lot of my adulthood has been about rediscovering that and so I was just very interested when I saw this book on Instagram that somebody else was reading I was like oh that's a hashtag relatable content I would like to check that out so I did and it's it's a lovely like perfectly nice memoir about her experience in the Peace Corps as, like, not being enough of either thing, which I think, you know, children of immigrants all can relate to that. Like, she is not, or, or like, mixed-race people, she's not American enough to have, like, a quote-unquote normal American experience. But then when she goes to the Philippines, she's certainly not, quote-unquote, Filipino enough, you know, to have, like, a normal, whatever that would be, experience there. Because she is there as, like, a charity worker, which is kind of weird. Um, And she doesn't speak the language. She doesn't understand a lot of the culture. A lot of the cultural stuff actually irritates her. Like, the way that Filipinos, their concept of time is, like, very loose. Their punctuality is not a big deal. That kind of drives her a little bit bananas. And she contemplates coming home a lot. I just really loved it because I would eventually like to go. I've got family in the Philippines. I don't speak Tagalog. And so I was reading it as kind of like a, what roadblock should I be looking out for when I do uh, <laughs> visit my family? Um, so yeah, I, that, the reason I, I, like, I like the book, but I would never, I haven't ever recommended it because it's like so personal to my 
experience that mm. uh, I don't know, like uh, it, I would be shocked if somebody wrote in asking a question that this book would be appropriate for. So that's somewhere in the middle. If any of you out there, <laughs> Filipino people would like to, uh, who like have no connection to your culture, would like to explore that. And it's by Deborah Francisco Douglas. So my next pick is The Legend of Pradeep Matthew by Shehan Karuna Talaka. And this book, I read it when it came out in the U.S., which was 2012, question mark. So like seven years ago. And I still think about it all the time. I think I managed to work a recommendation into Get Booked for it like one time, but it was a real stretch. And it's a very specific kind of book. And again, like, I just I just don't even know. Like, I think if I had been in the wrong mood when I picked it up, I would never have finished reading it. But I loved it. And it's really bizarre. It is a book about an aging sports writer who is an alcoholic who has been told by his doctor that he is going to die if he keeps drinking. And he's like, cool, I'm going to keep drinking then, <laughs> and I will goals. just die. Yeah. And he... Well, well oh I meant God. his goals, not my goals. <laughs> right. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. That is not my um, goal. Yeah. His personal goals are are skewed. Let's just <laughs> put it that way. Um, And he, in the meantime, so he knows that he's dying and he decides the thing that he's going to do is go looking for this cricket bowler who disappeared right when he seemed to be poised to like become one of the best players that Sri Lanka has ever seen. And along the way, he like enlists his buddy to help. And along the way, he like gets himself into all kinds of scrapes because he's drunk all the time and is a kind of a terrible person and is just constantly like offending people or sticking his nose where it shouldn't be and digging up all of this stuff. And it turns into this kind of meta novel in a really fascinating way and it gets into the politics of Sri Lanka and it gets into racism and it's so much about cricket and like I know nothing <laughs> about cr- I know not I know less than nothing about cricket like I have actually tried to learn some things about cricket and found it so confusing that I gave up so like I don't I don't have any sort of grounding for this book and it didn't matter and it's just one of those weird meandering like, I hate this narrator, but I can't look mm. away. This is bizarre and so interesting. And then, again, the flip at the end, you're just like, what just happened? What just happened? And, yeah, I think I think it was a bigger deal in, um, like, it won a prize in Sri Lanka, and it was a big deal in India and Britain. But I don't think that the U.S. has, like much attachment to any of these topics and so people just don't pick it up and again like the kind of person who's going to pick this up like you know who you are but like there's not that many of you potentially but I just I just I will never stop thinking about this book and that for me is like well somebody else out there needs to pick this up as well it's so strange so again that's The Legend of Pradeep Matthew by Shehan Karuna Talaka also, I should note that it is like 400 pages, <laughs> so it's like long. It's not short either. <laughs> 
But there you have it. So why haven't you recommended a 400-page book about cricket? (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah, why haven't I recommended this? It's so weird. (laughs) Okay, so my next pick is just the most random, but I love it. It's How to Behave Badly in Elizabethan England. It's by Ruth Goodman. I have recommended Ruth Goodman's books before on the show. She's written a guide like How to Be a Victorian. Um, That was, it's just delightful. Uh, Ruth Goodman is a BBC... A presenter, I guess is the term, um, on a series of living history uh, shows that I love, like Victorian Farm, where she goes with a couple of other archaeologists and historians to like, live on a Victorian farm as if she were Victorian. Um, for a year, she has one about Victorian pharmacy, where she goes to work at a pharmacy. For a year. It's just amazing. She's such a nerd. And she's written a lot of these books. But this one I've not recommended and can't imagine that I ever would because it's spe- it's so specific and niche and weird. It's about how to be a jerk in Elizabethan England. Like, that's it. <laughs> How to be rude, like the things that would have gotten you in trouble in like in both high and low society. Kind of, um, you know, there was no middle class, so the there's it's not like so much about bad middle class behavior, but about bad like behavior amongst farmers or amongst merchants, and then even amongst like royalty. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here about farts, which I find hilarious, <laughs> um, and table manners and. Things like that. Um, there's the one story about, like, there's so much about etiquette, the the really complicated court etiquette and, like, bowing and um, curtsying and all that kind of stuff. There's a great anecdote about how the, I think it was the French ambassador um, to England when it like, came to visit Elizabeth's court. And Elizabeth was so pissed off at France that she left him in a low bow for, like, 15 minutes. Which was, you know, because she had to indicate in a very particular way that his time for bowing was over. And she just left him in this horribly uncomfortable physical position. (laughs) It was a kind of like very courtly and polite torture that she left this very fancy person in because she was just like angry at his country. And like, it's just stuff like that. But then it's also things about like how, how really wealthy young men with a lot of time on their hands, how they got into trouble. And it is extremely similar to how very wealthy young men with a lot of time on their hands get in trouble now. Like they would go to bars, get really drunk, harass women and destroy stuff. Like and it's just the same mm. as how privileged dudes in 2019 get in trouble. You know, the the table manner stuff is really interesting because they didn't have the same kind of utensils that we had. So, like, the way that they had to keep their hands clean and their clothes clean because your clothes were really expensive and, like, laundry day was a pain. All of that kind of stuff. It's so detailed. And unless you are a really big domestic history nerd, which I am, I don't know that you would find it all of that interesting. Um, but I do. So <laughs> that's How to Behave Badly in Elizabethan England by Ruth Goodman. That's, like, the most specific did you know wreck. I know. I know. <laughs> It is very, I did that a lot, like to my friends, Um, especially the parts about women and the way that you, the ways that were acceptable to insult women uh, all had to do with accusing them of being prostitutes or witches. And Mm. that's Mm -hmm. kind of still how things are. Yeah. (laughs) The more things change, the more they stay the same. Stay the same. Exactly. (laughs) Womp womp. Um, Okay. My next pick is another nonfiction pick and it's a really interesting one. I mean, I think so, (laughs) obviously, because I picked it to talk about. (laughs) 
It's Clandestine in Chile by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who is obviously not known for his nonfiction writing, right? Like, I went through such a heavy Marquez phase as a teenager and then into college. And there's still a short story, which I think is one of my all-time favorite short stories, A Very Old Man with Wings by Marquez. And like 100 Years of Solitude have reread it multiple times, which is ridiculous because that book is so long. But... I was delighted because for a birthday one year, one of my friends who knew of this obsession gave me this book that I did not know existed. And it is a fascinating and actually quite short, like a hundred some pages little book in which... so. There was a film director named Miguel Latin who fled Chile after the coup in 1973 uh, toppled the Allende uh, government. And so, right, Pinochet got put into power and just, you know, reign of terror, horrible economic policies, all of the bad things. And Latin basically was in exile. He was not allowed to return to Chile. So in 1985, he comes back disguised as a Uruguayan businessman. And in the meantime, he's got three separate film crews going around the country, like from three posing as being from three different countries, each making like a tourism promotion movie. But actually, that's just a front for him attempting to put together a documentary about Pinochet's Chile, because the press has obviously been very suppressed and there's not a lot of news getting out. And he's just desperate both to find out what's going on and to return back to home, but also to tell the world what is going on. And this is the only way he can figure out how to do it. And so like an incredibly complex and dangerous undertaking. And so after the whole thing goes like is done, Latine sits down with Marquez to tell him what happened and how they did it. And this is that book. And like I, I get it's just I mean, first of all, if you care at all about U.S. policies abroad, this is super important to read, right? Because these are the consequences of our really terrible involvement in uh, Latin and South America. And secondly, it's like Gabriel Garcia Marquez telling this amazing story. And the writing obviously is nothing like what you would see in, for example, 100 Years of Solitude. But it's it's him as a reporter. So it's a really fascinating look at how the style of a great writer changes depending on what he is talking about. Um and yeah, and and then the story itself, obviously, like they're undercover and they're trying to get all this footage and are they going to get found out and what will happen if somebody turns them into the secret police and like all of this stuff. It's really intense and just an absolutely fascinating read. And again, like I, it's hard to imagine the question that would prompt this recommendation. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's it, it really is just an incredible piece of writing and an incredible story. Uh, So again, that's Clandestine in Chile uh, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Asa Zatz is the translator. All right. Before we get on to our next recommendation, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Libro FM. We've done spots for Libro so often you think I'd have them memorized because they're so great. Um, So Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from over 100,000 audiobooks, including, of course, New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest fall audiobook releases like The Testaments by Margaret Atwood, which I am reading right now, um, The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adeyemi, and Over the Top 
by Queer Eyes, Jonathan Van Ness. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the one. But you'll be part of a very different story, one that supports your local community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, Libro FM has recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local booksellers. So listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro FM, that's Libro.fm, and enter code BR3 and get three months of audiobook membership for the price of one. Okay, thank you for sponsoring the show. So my next pick for unrecommendable books is so... (laughs) weird it's summer cooking by elizabeth david which is from nyrb classics a small publisher well i don't know if i call them small an independent publisher who i love and this is (laughs) is a um cookbook that came out in 1955 elizabeth david is a really well-known um food writer so again uh, like a work of domestic history except this one's like a primary source i don't know what to tell you um and this is a like ostensibly this is a book about seasonal english cooking like you know cooking in the summer but it's really just the crankiest work of food writing you're ever going to read and i love it so intensely so elizabeth david was very much into fresh and seasonal ingredients like this is this book is of such a time and a place like she's going to talk to you about how to pack a picnic in the summer in England and how you're going to want to pick the raspberries off the brambles and you're going to want to have this wine with it and you're going to want to have this cheese and you're going to want to make this kind of pesto Um, and then after she's done telling you about that she's going to give you a recipe for like some seasonal fish cooked in some kind of butter sauce and then she's going to rant for 10 pages about how frozen food is ruining everyone's palates and (laughs) no one knows how to eat food anymore because refrigerators are the devil and it's just the best like a cranky food writing is i love it so much because some of it is nonsense (laughs) right like some of it is very snobby and like privileged and whatever but this idea that like refrigerators are the reason why people don't (laughs) like good food anymore i love it i love it and also like it just reminds me of like a sun-soaked, I don't know, like something Truman Capote would, would write about. Like, I'm going to get in this car, I'm going to go on this picnic and pick raspberries while I'm with, I don't, whatever, like my lover. It's just so great. <laughs> Except Elizabeth David is not Truman Capote. She's not scandalous at all. She's an, like a very English food writer who just wants you to eat some gooseberry fool in July <laughs> and, and love it. Um, so again, like when would I ever recommend this? If somebody asks for cookbooks... Like, it is a cookbook. There are recipes in it. And it is separated by, like, tomatoes, beans, like, in-season stuff. Um, But if you don't live in England and it's not summer, it's not relevant to you. I didn't read this. Like, I I have no idea where to shelve it. So it sits on my, like, coffee table because I can't put it with my cookbooks because I'm never going to cook anything out of this. I don't live in the English countryside. And I don't want to put it with, like nonfiction because it's a cookbook like it's just a weird little it's 200 pages like it's just the weirdest little piece of food writing but it's so entertaining she's such a good writer and it, if you like to read books about you know that that um transport you that's what this experience was it was very much like oh i'm, I'm in an english country garden and it's august and i hate it it's so hot why am i here it's just amazing so that's summer cooking by elizabeth david so my next pick is also a memoir that is so specific that I this is why I don't know when it would ever come up that I would be able to recommend it. It is Meeting Faith, The Forest Journals of a Black Buddhist Nun by Faith Adiele. 
And this book, I don't even remember how I found it, quite frankly. Like, I cannot (laughs) resurrect the weird search rabbit hole that led me to this book in the library. I have no idea how it happened, but I loved it so much. It's such an interesting story. So Faith is the person who wrote it. I was like going to say narrator, but it's her book. It's her memoir. And she, as a young woman decided to go to Thailand to become a Buddhist nun. And it was kind of a weird decision-making process. And she is, you know, giving up, like, Pop-Tarts and her family and, you know, all of the things that she knows and loves and going to a strange country to become part of a tradition that she has very little background in. And like her reasons for doing this are even a little bit unclear to herself, but it's really important to her that she do it. And so you're following her on this journey of like, okay, getting on the plane. Okay, I've landed. I'm with my host family. Okay, now my head is getting shaved. Like what is going to happen? And then she gets to the temple and is like learning how to do meditation for hours, like 19 hours. Um, Eat one meal a day. Don't talk to anyone. And this is all so different for her. And she is black. And so she's also dealing with, you know, being in a culture that's not her own, um, being like an ethnicity that's not common in this area and people being like, what are you doing? (laughs) And she is like, what am I doing? And you sort of get a glimpse of her thought process as she's learning to, you know, become part of this tradition and like what it brings up for her and why she's doing it and, you know, the reasons that she's doing it change and how she thinks like she's never going to become comfortable with this. And then, you know, actually like starts to move into it and learn how to be comfortable both in this tradition and in her own skin. And it's really like she's she's I learned a ton about how this uh, Buddhist tradition works, but she's also just talking about the importance of like a spiritual practice in life to become acquainted with yourself as well as like, how do you find your way through the world and how valuable a spiritual practice can be and having like a thing that's a routine. Like maybe it doesn't need to be that strict. Maybe you can eat more than one meal a day and not meditate for 18 hours and talk to people, but like what kind of practice and routine is going to be important to you to move through the world. And it's so thoughtful and she's such a good writer. And the book itself is beautiful. Like the way it's laid out is so pleasing. Oh my gosh, it's just gorgeous. There are photos, like the whole thing. I just, and I'm very interested in spiritual traditions and also fish out of water stories. Mm. And when you put those two together, I just, I was like, this book is amazing. I don't know who to tell about it. You know, like, who else is interested in this? I don't know. But maybe you are listening and you need this book. So, again, that's Meeting Faith uh, by Faith Adiele. Okay. My next book is making me realize that, like, everything I'm recommending here is either domestic history or books about women having sex, which I'm fine with. (laughs) Or both. Or both. Yeah, this is great. So, it's uh, the book is called Witches, Sluts, Feminists. Uh, by Kristen J. Sole, who is the founder of The Sluttist, if you're familiar with that. It's like a a sex-positive feminist website. Um, She also does lectures at the New School about uh, the history of the the witch, like the archetypal idea of the witch through um, pop culture. Uh, And so this book is very much about that. And it's 
I found it. I, you know, it's something I think I found at my local indie. Like I went to Chop Suey and they have a great feminist um, nonfiction section. And it was, you know, faced out. The cover is great. It's like a woman with this like black lipstick. Um, and I was like, oh, this sounds good. So I bought it because of course I did. And it's fascinating. Like it's very, it's short, uh, like 200 pages from a little indie press. And it's about the through line of witches and the idea of the slut like women's sexual freedom and modern feminism and how women with ideas about their own sexual freedom whether they act on them or not are inevitably called whatever the you know term du jour the insult of the day is so like in history they would be witches um very, more recently the word slut came to be and then now feminists are of course like man hating lesbians who have a lot of sex and this kind of stuff um and so it's about the I, those ideas and how um women who have any idea like any <laughs> expression of sexual freedom how they're portrayed in pop culture um and how the the idea of being like witchy is really having a moment right now um, mm-hmm. where it's like resurgence of the witch and like how women and especially millennials are expressing that in their own versions of spirituality and the stuff that millennial women specifically are choosing to um, keep and not abandon, but like the parts of like witchy, I don't even know if it's like culture, but because I'm not talking about like Wicca, which is like a spiritual practice, but specifically the word witch and how more women are identifying with that word without necessarily having like ties to like nature or paganism or any of that. It's like Mm. just this idea of like counterculturalism, sexual expression, um, women having autonomy over their own bodies. And like how even now in 2019, thinking that you have the right to um, do whatever you want with or to your own body, whether it involves other people or not, is still very like countercultural, edgy and witchy. And like, how is that possible? So it's just a really short examination of the idea of witches, sexual expression and feminism. And obviously... How am I ever going to recommend that to anyone? Like when, when, like what question could possibly be asked that would, that this book would be the answer to, but it's great. So if you see it at your local indie, you go pick it up. So that's Witches, Sluts, Feminists by Kristen J. Soleil. And now for something completely different. (laughs) My next pick is a Star Trek franchise book called Dark Mirror, and it is by Diane Duane, who is much better known for her YA novels, right? Like, she is the author of the Young Wizards fantasy series, and the story of how I found this book is one of my favorite things. I go for runs in my neighborhood, which has, like, 14,000 little free libraries, and often I will, like, oh, I'm just going to stop real quick and peek and see what's in there. And I saw this book in the little little free library and I did like a triple take I was like it's a Star Trek book by Diane Duane what like what is going on here so I grabbed it and I took it home and it was so much fun I have literally never read a Star Trek franchise book of any kind before this I don't know if I'll ever read another one but like if you grew up watching Star Trek The Next Generation and or you're just fascinated by this idea that Diane Duane has written a Star Trek novel <laughs> let me tell you this is the one for you it is a like doppelganger parallel universe story and uh, it involves the USS Enterprise. So if you are a TNG fan, this one is for you. And they have like accidentally encountered 
a mirror image, but like a wonky, dark mirror, haha, title uh, of themselves. Like, and there's like this nightmare other enterprise where like the captain is abusive and everybody wears like these weird, like midriff bearing costumes, of course. And because this was written in the 90s. And, um, and that was like the most daring thing you could do is bear your midriff. And, um, and like, you know, there's like torture and like all of these crazy things going on. And they are basically like in a bat, in a race against time to defeat their other selves. And as if that wasn't enough, there are also these amazing, like, original side characters, including, like, a dolphin sort of alien who is a scientist who is amazing. I don't even, like, I just, I don't even know what to tell you, except for that this book was so much fun to read. And I really loved how much Dwayne clearly is a fan and the way she inhabits these characters like that we many of us know and love. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Jordy would totally say that. Like, <laughs> that's totally what Jordy would say uh, is really interesting. And there's a I can't remember if it was like a foreword or an afterword about how she came to write this book that I also found delightful. So I'd, it's just like it, and again, so random, right? Like, this is the randomest thing, <laughs> but I loved it so much. I'm not even sure this is still in print, but maybe it'll appear in your little free library. Who knows? And my library has it, so other libraries surely must have it as well. So again, that is Star Trek The Next Generation Dark Mirror by Diane Duane. That's so random. <laughs> right. It's the randomest. It's, but it's like I kept it. I did not I, I did not bring it back to the little free library. I kept it because it's mine now. Sorry, everybody. Yep. Correct. Okay. Uh, I don't even know how to talk about this book, y'all. So <laughs> my, my next pick is this just weird little novel from Coach House Books, which is a great small press that I read when I was a judge of the Best Translated Book Award in, I think, 2016. And so um, the book was published in 2015. It's called Guano. It's by Louis Carmain, and it's translated by Rhonda Mullins. And it is literally a, like a 160 pages of historical fiction about bat poop and bir like bird poop. <laughs> Not bat poop, bird poop specifically. Um, that no one has ever read, right? Like no one has read this book except maybe me. There are 36 ratings on Goodreads. There are six reviews. They're all in French. So the book is not... Like, it is obviously translated into English. So um, I don't know what anyone out in the world thinks about this book. I can tell you that I thought it was amazing and, like, bizarre and super weird. And it's hard for me to decide if I love it because it's so strange or if I love it because it's well-written. I don't think I care. Like, who cares? <laughs> why? Why? Um, but so it takes place in the 1860s. Um, Spain is resisting Peru's attempts to gain independence because, specifically because of guano on the Chincha Islands off the coast of Peru. Because this guano, which in the book they call white gold, apparently has a lot of economic value, um, both use, I know that it's being used, it can be used in like agricultural ways as fertilizer, but it also has a lot of chemical components that make it really useful in military ways, like explosives and stuff like that. So Spain is very reluctant to give up Peru specifically because of the 
poop on these islands. Um, the main character of the book, his name is Simone. He's a ship's recorder on what is ostensibly a scientific expedition, but it's actually a military expedition to the islands to, like, defend them, essentially. Um, and while he is in Peru, he meets a woman named Montse, who he, like, wants to get with um but as the military tension in around in and around this town escalates because you know he came on a military ship um his relationship with her becomes very odd he can't bring himself to like pursue it she's just asking him to write her letters because she doesn't want to necessarily have a physical relationship with him all of this is set against the backdrop of this military standoff over poop island so like (laughs) right this is it's weird maybe if somebody asked specifically for like novels written in french about peru and its independence i could recommend this but that question has never come and never will so i have never recommended it i don't know that i've actually talked to anyone about it because i got rid of a lot i mean it was three or four hundred maybe more books that came to my house during that year to be judged for that award which is a great award go check it out um best translated book award um and i got rid of almost all of them because i don't what's the point like the ones you like you keep but i this book has come with me through like two moves and i've kept it ever since and it's this just this weird slim little historical fiction book about Peruvian independence and bird poop. It's just so strange. So anyway, that's Guano by Louis Carmain, and it's translated by Rhonda Mullins. So weird. Can we rewind for a second to the part where you received three to four hundred books to judge for a literary prize? Do you and you couldn't have had to read all of them? I didn't have to. I didn't. No. Um. But they sent you all of them. Yeah. Every book that was published that was published that year translated into English from every publisher was sent to my house every single one. Oh my god so it wasn't even like they were they were all nominated necessarily it's just like no. these are all the books in the world that are eligible read some yeah the judges i mean no there was no nomination process it was books that were eligible which is every book translated into english wow that year was sent to my house and we didn't have to read all of them we were it was split the judges were responsible i think there were Seven judges were responsible for um, splitting the book. So whatever, 400 Mm. divided by seven. That's how many I had to read. (laughs) Still a lot. It's still a lot. And then whichever books the other judges deemed worthy of consideration for the shortlist, we also had to read. So it did still end up being everything I read that year was for this award. I read nothing that wasn't. It was was over 100 books that I read for the award. I don't even remember which one won that year. We can look it up. Because I read so much, I can't remember <laughs> what one. But yes, that was that was the process. That's bonkers. That's really intense. Yeah. Well, cool, cool, cool. Um, <laughs> my final pick, I have like a weird niche that is books about sports that I don't actually care that much about written that are really long in weird ways. And this book is 720 pages long. It is called Red or Dead by David Peace, R-E-D, The Color. Um, And it is about the Liverpool Football Club in the early 60s. And I, again, know nothing about the Liverpool Football Club. Well, now I know a whole bunch about it. But (laughs) when I picked up this book, I did not know anything about the Liverpool Football Club. I'm a fan of American soccer. And, like, if you had asked me, like, what I watch, you know, European football, like, absolutely. But, like, no, I don't know anything about it. And there was a manager named Bill Shankly who, like, you know, took the club to, you know, 
winning all of these titles and all of these cups and it was a big deal and you know his football was like a form of socialism and people loved or hated him and he had such a huge reputation and then he resigned and it was the biggest deal and this is a book written in experimental prose about Bill Shankly during his tenure as manager of the Liverpool Football Club and like that sounds to me, so boring. Like the most, like how you couldn't pay me to read 700 pages of experimental prose about the Liverpool Football Club. And yet, I love this book so much. It's so weird. And I remember tweeting about it one night and being like, this is like the Liverpool Football Club version of like Hillary Mantel. Like, I don't even know what that means anymore, but that's what I tweeted when I was in the middle of reading this book. <laughs> like, it's, and I, I actually, now I'm thinking about it. I can see it like the pros, like the repetitions, like the way that there's like a million characters and you're like, who are even these people? But you can't stop reading it. It just sucks you in and pulls you along. Or at least if you're me, that's what happens. It is so strange. And the book is written in such a specific way. And after reading it for too long, I would find my brain parsing words in the way that the book is written, which was really unnerving, let me tell you. Like, it, like, retrained my brain in a certain way for a little while after having read it. And David Peace has written a ton of books. Most of them are these very dark, uh, like, procedurals that take place in Yorkshire and not at all experimentally written like they're written like you would imagine a procedural like murder like kind of gruesome murder mystery would be but this is so singular and so strange and I don't know how it ever got published like who, <laughs> like, who was like yes yes we will we will put many copies of this into the world <laughs> but I was so just weirdly taken with it and like and it wasn't just me I there were a few of us at the I was working at the bookstore at the time this was coming out and somehow oh it was Dustin I blame Dustin Kurtz entirely for this mm. because he was working for the publisher and he sent it to us and was like you have to read this and I was like Dustin but I was like do All right, I? I'll, I'll, yeah exactly do I really I'll try it Preeti has a tattoo from this book on her arm like that's how and we like this was a year we were doing bookrageous parties still at bea and we invited david peace and he came <gasps> and we like descended upon him at this bea party and we're like oh my god we love red or dead so much and he's just looking like at these two american 20 something girls telling them how telling him how much they loved his book about like bill shankly <laughs> and i think he was just so confused and you know i'm still confused about why i love this book i don't know but i do and it's really weird and maybe you too will love it so that's i don't even know what to tell you <laughs> i think that's the whole show this is really weird but maybe you will also love it <laughs> i don't maybe you will also love it so that's red or dead by david peace <laughs> and that is our 200th episode. <laughs> We're sorry? Question mark. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you right now. <laughs> um, if you are so inclined to leave a rating or a review <laughs> to tell us what you think about our unrecommendable books or any other thing, please feel free. You can do that on Apple Podcasts and it will help other people find the show. Which, you know, sorry, not sorry. Um, thank you to our sponsors for making this show possible. You can also find us on social media where occasionally I tweet things about like Hillary Mantel and Liverpool football. Um, I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. 
I am also on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. 